2: Hello, everyone. Sorry about the brief break. I had a bit of a throat situation last week and didn't particularly want to inflict my scratchiness on you. However, being laid up for a while did give me the chance to indulge in some classic horror action, beginning with The Ghost Train from 1942. In case you haven't been subjected to it, this is a film about a ragtag band of travellers on a train who find themselves having to spend the night at a creepy old station in the wilds of Cornwall in the south of England after missing their connection. The problem is that the station is haunted by a phantom train that hurtles through the station from time to time and anyone who looks at it will fall down dead. Some night...
3: The signal bell rings. And a train comes screaming and a-tearing through the station with its whistle blowing. Probably a good train. I tell you, there ain't no trains run on these metals from ten at night till seven in the morning. Besides, if it be a natural thing, where do it come from? Where do it go? Have you ever seen it? Well, I shouldn't be here, Viad. They do say, as to look on the ghost train, do mean death.
2: At first, the passengers write the whole thing off as a fantasy. But as midnight approaches, strange things begin to happen, such as the stationmaster dying of a sudden heart attack and the arrival of a disturbed young woman who seems obsessed with looking at the ghost train, which seems to be drawing ever nearer. You're
4: Listen. Listen to it. I've got to see it.
2: This was based on a stage play of the same name, which was written by Mr. Arnold Ridley, better known these days as Private Godfrey in the BBC comedy series Dad's Army. The play itself is best described, I think, as an old chestnut. Very creaky, very predictable, a broad palette of characters and the relentless crashing of lightning. It was adapted as this film in 1942 and, of course, was modernised to fit the times. I won't give anything away, but if you think about the period in which it was made, you may guess at some of the later developments in the movie. Another element that was added (laughs) was the addition of the movie's lead character, Tommy Gander, a vaudeville comedian, played here. By Arthur Askey.
1: Hey, wait a minute! I've left my basket in the garden bed. <coughs> hey, my, my basket in the
5: bed. No, it isn't. I threw it out on the platform. Threw it out?
1: You'll be hearing from my solicitor.
5: You'll be hearing from the company. I'll tell my mum of you. Virtue and cheer
2: No. I want to like Arthur Askey. In fact, I have liked Arthur Askey in a few films. He's great in The Bandwagon, and King Arthur was a gentleman. It's just that in this film, he drives me mental. There is not one moment in the movie where he isn't chucking out a bad joke or a pun. He is relentless. He's like that guy at your office who imagines himself to be a stand-up comedian. You know the type. Someone knocks at the door and he'll make a joke about big knockers. Someone offers him sugar for his tea and he jokes that he's sweet enough already. Someone stumbles and he asks them if they've had a nice trip. On and on, relentlessly, from beginning to end. It's okay for three or four minutes, but after that, you're beginning to claw at your own cheeks.
1: Shut up, just shut up, shut up. Most intelligent basket, that, you know, it seems to know me. Whenever I go near is it, it creeps. Shut up, shut up, shut up. He can't stand here and get soaked, eh? He could stand anywhere and get soaked. No, shut up, shut up. Now, why should I catch old Monia? I've had pneumonia, you, you know. <laughs> shut up, shut up,
5: shut
4: up. Then he'll have to get us a bus or something.
5: That's right, give me a number six. I've got some friends who live in Hackney. All fairs ready, no standing on top. Oh, shut up, shut up, shut up. First a girl and then a boy. I'll be glad. Call me at eight o'clock with a nice cup of tea. Shut up there, auntie. Good night,
2: all. And I know that it isn't just that I'm a crotchety old miser, because I glanced over at one point to see my children aged nine and six, wearing what I can only describe as a haunted expression. Fitting, given the film, I suppose. The moments where he isn't interrupting the plot to crack another joke or say, I thank you, are actually quite fun, especially when the ghost train finally makes an appearance. In fact, the whole film would have been a classic if they'd stuck to the play. As it is, there's 10 minutes of a decent film and 75 minutes of watching Arthur being a pain in the Key. Surely
1: there must be a hostelry somewhere. He means a boozer.
2: Hey, what's the most niche medical product you can think of? How about this one? Specifically designed for all you millions of cotton pickers out there.
5: It's a sense you can't pick your best with store chap fans. Don't put up with that condition. Get Cotton Picker's Friend. On sale at all good drug and general merchandise stores for only 30 and 50 cents per bottle. Remember the name Cotton Picker's Friend.
1: My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you. And I assure you,
2: I thank you. First thank you this week goes to Mr. Gary Bond, who made a kind donation. I thank you, sir. And please receive the customary canterbury Canterbury. The doziem thank you I have is to the good people of the Joplin Globe newspaper, who wrote a scintillating review of the secret history of Hollywood. Thank you so much. Take this and party. Canterbury. Number three goes to Rowan Tucker-Meyer, who kindly sent an email and then recommended two movies for me to seek out. House of Mystery and The Monster Walks. Rowan, I tried. I really, really tried. I will try again, I promise. But good heavens, man, those films are hard work. On the other end of the spectrum, a film that I and my teenage daughter stayed up to watch last night, 1946's House of Horrors. <laughs> this little tale concerns a sculptor named Marcel Delange, who's been trashed by a snooty New York art critic, F. Holmes Harmon. With his reputation in tatters, DeLonge is about to commit suicide when he happens upon the half-drowned body of the Creeper, a notorious serial killer.
1: Good morning. I brought you some breakfast. Why? Because you must eat and get your strength back. You had a close call last night. Why are you good to me? Oh, I'm doing only what anybody would do for a man who was injured and almost drowned you know who I am? I don't care who you are. I only know that I need you.
2: Desperate to make his new friend happy, the creeper begins to murder the many critics of Delange's work. But a street-smart journalist and her artist boyfriend soon begin to piece together what's happening.
1: I thought perhaps you might have guessed the identity of my model.
0: Sai? All I know about him is is what you told me about fishing him out of the river.
1: I'm greatly relieved.
0: So am I. I really can't stay any longer myself.
1: I'm sorry, but I must ask you to stay. I wouldn't think of having you leave without meeting my model in person. she will be here presently. You'll find him very interesting.
2: Wow, so a hokey little horror from the dying days of Universal's horror cycle and starring a fearsomely striking but not altogether gifted actor in the lead role should be, on paper, a catastrophic failure. Therefore, what an utter delight that it turns out to be a very enjoyable slice of witty darkness. In case any of you aren't familiar with the character of the Creeper, he was originally created as an adversary for Sherlock Holmes and appeared in what I consider to be the finest of Basil Rathbone's adventures, The Pearl of Death. He was dispatched at the end of that film, but he made such an impression on not only audiences, but on Universal's executives, that he was quickly resurrected and given his own series of low-budget shockers. He is a monstrous, lumbering, almost mute killer who murders without pity by breaking the backs of his victims, and he was played by Rondo Hatton, who was afflicted by a disease known as acromegaly, which causes extremely painful deformities in its sufferers. In Hatton's case, it twisted his body into painfully awkward shapes and caused his face to distend grotesquely. As a result, he made a striking impact on horror cinema, and his screen presence burned brightly. Unfortunately, he was to die from complications of his acromagaly in 1946, the year of this film's release. Anyway, you can hear more about Rondo Hatton by listening to the Secret History of Hollywood episode The Game is Afoot, if you so wish. House of Horrors continues the tale of the Creeper and an odd sort of alliance he strikes up with this maniacal little artist played by the marvellous Martin Kosleck.
1: Why am I not big and strong so that I could throttle this man almost? I can see him now. A drink at his elbow, chuckling over his cleverly turned phrases. He has money and food and drink. while we must starve. It is unfair, I tell you. Where does he live?
2: It really shouldn't be as enjoyable as it is, but alongside the murdering you have a rather smart take on the artistic elite, especially art critics, two of whom are put to death for having themselves murdered the career of New York's artists. You also have a very fun subplot involving a wisecracking detective and an artist who specialises in cheesecake. Plus, it's impossible to dislike a film that contains the immortal line
1: I've often wondered why a man would want to snap a woman's spine
2: haven't we all camp nonsense but very watchable camp nonsense
1: I'm a Christmas unicorn in a uniform made of gold
2: And talking of camp nonsense, Christmas is almost upon us. And with it, a Christmas special from yours truly. And I'd love for you guys to be involved. So if you'd like to appear alongside your favorite Golden Age stars on this show, just send a recorded greeting to adam at adaboyglaris.com. And a magical wreath
1: and a bow tie on my chin.
2: I've had a few in already, and it's shaping up nicely, but I'd love more. So do get them sent in as soon as possible.
5: Let's turn back the clock about 24 hours and drop in on Mr. and Mrs. Johnson. They're just returning from a football game. Well, here we are, home at last, and boy, am I hungry. Oh,
0: so am I. Let's start thinking about some food. Big, juicy hamburgers,
2: maybe. Say, that's for me, with plenty of ketchup.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Del Monte ketchup.
2: Ah. I've just realised that I may have to translate this commercial for my fellow British listeners. Let's just start it again.
5: Let's turn back the clock about 24 hours and drop in on Mr and Mrs Johnson. They're just returning from a football game.
2: American football game.
5: Well, here we are, home at last, and boy am I hungry. Oh,
1: so am I.
0: Let's start thinking about some food. Big juicy hamburgers, maybe.
5: Say, that's for me, with plenty of ketchup. Ketchup. Uh Uh-huh. Del Monte ketchup. Ketchup. It has such marvellous flavour. And Mrs. Johnson really knows her ketchup. Ketchup. Del Monte ketchup. Ketchup. The zestiest, liveliest ketchup Ketchup. that ever pleased a man. Now that football season is in full swing...
2: Now that the American football season is well underway...
5: You'll find Del Monte Catsup Ketchup. ...a bigger help than ever when planning lunches before the game or supper afterwards. It's a smart hostess who serves hearty food and lots of it, with plenty of Del Monte ketchup handy to add bright, rich, spiced tomato flavour.
2: Tomato flavour. Yes,
5: that marvellous tomato, tomato. flavour you find in Del Monte ketchup.
2: Ketchup. The only ketchup, ketchup.
5: made with pineapple vinegar. Food
2: flavouring number E118.
5: That superlative vinegar that coaxes out all the best in tomato tomato flavour. Remember for real zip and zest.
2: Energetic buoyance.
5: It's Del Monte Catsup. Ketchup. Every time. Next time you go shopping, look for Del Monte Catsup. Ketchup.
0: You'll like its
5: quality and you'll like its thrifty price. Catsup indeed.
2: Well, the third horror movie I watched this week was 1944's The Uninvited. The story of a struggling songwriter rick and his sister who fall in love with windward a clifftop house in cornwall while on holiday and buy it for a ridiculously cheap sum from its owner commander beach who seems intent on offloading it quickly
6: they call them the haunted shores these stretches of devonshire and cornwall and ireland which rear up against the westward ocean mists gather here and sea fog and eerie stories That's not because there are more ghosts here than in other places, mind you. It's just that people who live hereabouts are strangely aware of them. You see, day and night, year in, year out, they listen to the pound and stir of the waves. There's life and death in that restless sound, and eternity too. If you listen to it long enough, all your senses are sharpened. You come by strange instincts. You get to recognize that peculiar cold which is the first warning. A cold which is no mere matter of degrees Fahrenheit, but a draining of warmth from the vital centers of the living. Local people tell me they would have felt it, even outside that locked door. We didn't. They can't understand why we didn't know what it meant when our dog wouldn't go up those stairs. Animals see the blasted things, it appears.
2: The problems begin soon after moving into Winwood eerie noises, inexplicable chills and ghostly apparitions seem to hang over the house. All connected to a mysterious girl, Stella, whose family used to live in the house. The ghostly visitations soon begin to increase in violence as something from the spirit world reaches out to destroy Stella. But Rick, who has fallen in love with her, is determined to find out the secret of Windward before it's too late.
0: It may not be
4: quite so cold, really. Oh,
6: stop it, Pam. It's clammy and rotten. Whatever it is, it's in here with us. Let's get out. Right about one thing, Pam. We haven't a ghost anymore. we have got two of them.
2: Quite a breezy little supernatural mystery, and gorgeous to look at. This is one of those films that contains that most mythic of landscapes. The England of Hollywood's imagination, where every road is a twisty little country lane and every house is a rose-covered cottage with a white picket fence. The music sweeps along behind every scene and the views across the crashing ocean are majestic. Quite different to the England I know, but definitely the one in which I'd like to live given half the chance. As a horror film, it's remarkably restrained and does send a few quivers up the spine. The scares are very much in the vein of Robert Wise's 1963 horror, The Haunting. A mournful wailing echoes around the house and the apparitions are only glimpsed. The scares come in the form of the unexpected. You imagine that you're about to see something as the camera closes in on a doorway, only for the door to suddenly slam shut, or an entity suddenly seizes control of our heroine as she dashes towards the cliffs to throw herself off. It's nice to see a film from this period that does actually feature the supernatural, too. Usually in films like this, it's discovered that a mad aunt is responsible and has been trying to send her victim mad. In this film, you have honest-to-goodness ghosts who are up to no good. It's a creeping horror, a slow chilling of the blood, and it's all tied to a rather neat central mystery regarding Stella's long-buried family secret. Great cast do have Ray meland as Rick, and the eye-poppingly beautiful Ruth Hussey as his sister, Gail Russell as Stella, as well as Donald Crisp and Alan Napier bringing up the rear. Very glossy but very enjoyable supernatural mystery. I can't see it terrifying a modern audience, but it may cause you to shiver once or twice. As for radio entertainment today, we're going on over to one of my favourite shows, the Screen Directors' Playhouse, for their very fine adaptation of *The Uninvited*, starring Mr. Ray Milland in his original role. So pull those loved ones tight and make sure all the lights are burning, because it's spooky, spooky time
5: from Hollywood, the Screen Directors' Playhouse. Director's Playhouse, star Ray Milland, production The Uninvited, director Lewis Allen. The Hollywood screen directors present a tale for troubled midnights. The motion picture drama The Uninvited, starring Ray Milland in his original role of Rick Fitzgerald.
6: I woke up, five in the morning, my skin creeping, my scalp crawling, I listened, I heard the dim surge of the ocean at the foot of the Devonshire cliffs not far from my window, only five o'clock, and then, I was sure now, I hadn't dreamed of appalling crying, could it be my sister Pamela in the next bedroom? There was no electricity in this old house. I I lit a candle. I went to the door leading into the upstairs hallway. Rick! What? Oh. Oh, Pamela.
4: You heard it too, then. What in
6: heaven's name is it?
4: I don't know.
6: It comes from downstairs.
4: It comes from everywhere and nowhere.
6: I'm going down and search the place. It's
4: no use, Rick. There's never anything there.
6: You mean this has happened before?
4: All the time you were still in London while I was getting the house ready for us to live in.
6: Why didn't you call me or write me about it? It's
4: our home now. It's all we've got to live in. It sounds so terribly heartbroken. But there,
6: there must be some logical explanation.
4: It'll stop soon now. It always dies away at dawn.
6: No wonder we got the old place for such a low price. They tell me it stood empty for ten years before. Oh. oh. Shutter blew open. It's
4: the dawn breeze. I must have forgotten to latch up. Listen. I know. The sobbing is gone.
6: Is that all for tonight?
4: Is that all? It's every night, Rick. And if I don't get some sleep, I'll die. No, no,
6: no. Don't do that. It'll be different tomorrow night. You'll see.
0: Aren't you the gentleman who bought this house for my grandfather?
6: Why, yes. Good evening.
0: (laughs) Good evening. I'm Stella Meredith. It was my mother's house.
6: Well, come in, Stella Meredith.
0: Thank you. I haven't been in this house since I was three. And I've wanted to come so many times. Then
6: why didn't you?
0: Oh, my, my grandfather forbids it. He has some silly idea that I'm in danger.
6: Nonsense. You shall see the house, Stella Meredith, and I shall be your guide.
0: This is my old nursery. Like it? How pretty your sister has made it.
6: That's very pretty perfume you're wearing.
0: It's mimosa. Do you like it? Oh, very much. My mother always used mimosa. She died when I was three years old. Oh. May I see the studio now where my father painted?
6: Only it's the studio where I play the piano now. You may even persuade me to play something
5: for you.
0: stop playing please
6: very flattering thank you
0: father painted my mother's picture in this very room
6: you don't remember that
0: no but mother would sit on this platform wearing her soft white dress sometimes of course he'd paint the other one other one he had a model you know a spanish girl People seem to get awfully hush-hush when I try to ask about her, though. You play beautifully.
6: It's a serenade to Stella by Starlight.
0: You mean this Stella, me?
6: And this candlelight.
0: It's the most exciting thing that has ever happened to me. Is it? Yes. What's the matter? All at once, a, a cold wind.
6: Yes, suddenly it is cold in this
0: room. And your music's gone so terribly sad. Why?
6: I don't know. It just came out that way.
0: And the candles grew dim.
6: There's a drought.
0: Oh, mother was so young and beautiful, and she died so cruelly. Mother.
5: Stella.
1: Mother.
0: Stella, mother! Stella come back.
6: I gathered my scattered senses and jumped up and ran after her. I passed Pamela, standing amazed at the foot of the stairs.
4: Rick, what's the matter? What's happened?
6: There's something evil in her. Stella! But she was out the front door, her dark hair flying, running wildly in the darkness, heading for the cliffs. Stella! I shouted after her. Stella, come back! shouted again, pleading with her. No, Stella, no! The cliffs, I thought. Stella, the cliffs! The cliffs in the boiling sea beneath. Stella! Whatever sinister force had driven her out of the house was now driving her to destruction on those killing rocks. The brink was only yards away, a few steps. I reached for her and my fingers caught in her belt and I pulled her back. Back from the very edge of that awful precipice. Stella.
0: What's the matter? Matter?
6: You were going over the edge. Was I? Why did you do it, Stella? What drove you toward death?
0: Death? Why, nothing. I, I didn't feel I was in any danger.
6: Look below you.
0: Oh, the sea. Yes. This is where my mother fell.
6: Your mother fell here?
0: By this dead tree. She. She.
6: Are you all right?
0: Help me.
6: Stella. <laughs>
4: Will she be all right, Dr. Scott?
6: She's resting nicely upstairs, Miss Pamela. Well, is Stella entirely safe up there alone?
4: Why not?
3: Well, in the light of what just happened.
4: You're the one who sneers when I say this house
3: is haunted. Well, everybody in the village knows the house is peculiar. Well, can you tell us anything about it, Doctor? Do you know about Carmel? Carmel? The Spanish model Stella's father painted. Oh, yes. Stella's father was in love with Carmel. It was an open scandal.
0: But didn't Mrs. Meredith know about it?
3: I suppose she just accepted the situation. Where's this Carmel now? She died in this very house a week after Mary Meredith fell to her death from the cliff out there. Oh, she did fall, then. Ironically, she fell trying to save her rival from committing suicide. So they say. Rick,
4: Dr. Scott, don't you notice a scent in the room?
3: No. Yes, I do.
4: Yes. It's heliotrope.
6: No, it's mimosa. Stella's mother was fond of it. Stella tells me that... Pam, it's come back. What, Rick? Upstairs. Stella's not alone anymore. I know it. Come on. Stella.
0: Stella, are you all right? She's gone. I'm here.
6: Stella, darling.
0: At the window.
6: Now, don't be frightened.
0: I'm not frightened. Don't you know who it is in your house? It's my mother. Your mother?
6: Did you see her?
0: No. But when I woke up, I... I felt her in the room. Her scent, the mimosa, it was all around. I could feel her warm presence everywhere. And I felt something else. Something I've never known in my whole life. The knowledge that someone loved me very dearly. You'd better take her home, Rick. No. No, Mother is here. She wants me with her.
6: Your mother is dead, Stella. I know. But your grandfather will miss you. He'll be furious if he finds you here.
0: I know, but I love it here. I'll always come back.
6: Another time, Stella. Another time.
3: Three...
2: Four, five.
6: There it was again. Her grandfather was right. There was danger in this house for Stella. In the studio, when we'd first felt its presence, I had not smelled mimosa. But in that moment before dawn, with that awful sorrow in the house, I suddenly knew. I knew that there was a cold, cruel spirit which hated Stella and a warm, scented spirit that loved her. There was not one ghost.
5: You are listening to the Screen Director's Playhouse presentation of The Uninvited, starring Ray Milland in his original role of Rick Fitzgerald.
6: Pamela, I know this. Stella Meredith is in danger in this house. She mustn't come here anymore.
4: But she loves it, Rick. How can we possibly keep her away?
6: By holding a séance. A séance? Only this séance will be rigged. We've got to fix it so that the ghost of Mary Meredith appears to say in effect, Stella, I'm your mother. Forget Windward House and I shall find peace and happiness. P.S., there is a tall, excruciatingly handsome man named Rick Fitzgerald who wants to marry it's you It's wrong,
4: and... Rick. I won't agree to deceiving Stella.
6: We've got to break Stella of this attachment to the dead. We'll rig the sails. That very night, we held the sails. We all sat around a table, Stella, Pam, Dr. Scott, and I. A single candle was burning... On the table, I chalked the alphabet in a big circle, and the words yes and no opposite each other. An inverted wine glass stood in the center of the table. My stage was set.
0: I think the room is dark enough to begin. The important thing is that we should all believe.
3: Yes, so I understand. Well, what now? Everybody puts a finger on the glass.
6: Now, ask a question, Stella.
0: Is there anybody here... Is anybody... The glass is moving. Yes. The glass is on, yes.
6: Go on, Stella.
0: Are you... my mother? Yes. You don't want me to go away from Winwood House, do you, Mother? They want me to stay away, do you? Let go. You're keeping the glass from moving. I'm not. Let go, I say.
3: You better let matters take their course, Miss All right.
0: No. You see? She said no. She doesn't want me to stay away.
3: Look, look. look. The glass is moving. You. I... G...
6: A. Guard. I God. Guard.
0: guard me from what, Father? What?
6: C. A. R. M. Carmel.
0: That's enough.
6: Who smashed
3: the glass against the wall?
4: You, Pamela? No one, Rick. No one was touching it.
3: Stella. Stella. Stella's in a trance. Stella! Don't touch her. It may be dangerous.
6: May I ask a question?
3: No. It might help to try to reach her mind. Yes, try it. Whoever you are, are you Mary Meredith, Stella's mother...
0: Oh,
6: this is awful I won't ask her anything else
0: it's ladrona. Ladrona, cariño.
3: Is that Spanish Scott I uh, I don't know
0: ladrona, cariño.
3: Stella, Stella. Ah!
5: she's fainted
3: <sighs> I'm afraid this has all been a dreadful mistake
6: oh, It was wrong But she'll never be cured until this house is cured. until then Stella must never come here again.
0: I won't answer it I'll answer it
6: I'll go. It was Stella's grandfather, in a cold, bitter fury over her presence there and her
3: condition. An outrage, you hear? An outrage. I'm very sorry, sir. It won't happen again. I warrant you it won't. My granddaughter will never enter this house again if I have to lock her up somewhere. Come, Stella.
6: Stella was gone, but my work had just begun. I had to avert a tragedy. I had to solve the mystery of Windward House, but but where to start? I went to see Dr. Scott.
3: Any luck, Fitzgerald? Find anyone with a clue to what really happened here 17 years ago? No. Everyone who was here with the Merediths then seems to be dead. A trained nurse, isn't Trained nurse? I've been looking through the old casebook of my predecessor, Dr. Rudd. No. At the time of the tragedy, the Merediths employed a nurse for their child, a certain Miss Holloway. Holloway? Very, very much attached to Mary Meredith. Well, is she alive? How can we find her? She runs a place on Bodwin Moor called the Mary Meredith Retreat in honor of her long dead mistress. Hospital? No, a mental institution. <laughs> Strange woman. Strange place. Bodwin Moor? I think I'd better have a serious talk
6: with Miss Holliday.
4: I shall be happy, Mr. Fitzgerald, to assist in any way I can concerning these manifestations at Windward House.
6: Well, to begin with, Miss Holloway, I know about the Meredith, uh, Mary Meredith-Carmel triangle 17 years ago.
4: Yes, it was the delight of the local gossips. What were Mary
6: and Carmel like?
4: Extraordinary women, both of them. But Mary Meredith, she was a goddess. Even her talk was lovely and sparkling. Oh, the night we sat before her fireplace, planning our lives.
6: Ye- yes.
4: She met her humiliation and her fate magnificently. Uh, about Carmel. A Spanish gypsy. Beautiful and crafty and cruel. Why did Mrs.
6: Meredith stand for the situation?
4: She felt the decision to end it must come from her husband. Did it? Finally. Finally. To make it easier for Carmel, they took her to Paris found a position for her and left her there. Then they came back here with their infant daughter. For a while, they were almost happy together. Then? Carmel came back. She still wanted Mary's husband. Then, one stormy night, Carmel had been told that she must leave, this time for good. Oh, there was a ghastly scene, and finally Carmel, in a rage for revenge, ran to the child's room and snatched her up and ran toward the cliff. Mary raced after her. In the struggle, Mary fell to the rocks below. The baby was unharmed.
6: What happened to Carmel?
4: She escaped in the storm. Next morning, she crawled back in the early stages of pneumonia. I had to nurse her. I see. And now, please. I must be alone. Please.
3: Tell me about Miss Holloway. Is very interesting, Fitzgerald. A fanatical, a dedicated woman doctor. Uh, Dr. Rudd before me disliked her intensely. Professionally? Personally? How? Listen to this entry from Dr. Rudd's casebook for December 10th, 1932. Called to Wynwood House, Meredith's model, Carmel Quesada, double pneumonia. Well,
6: that tell is what Miss Holloway told me.
3: December 12th, Carmel Quesada much worse. No attempt to warm her room. Found traces of snow in her bedroom. Snow? Spoke severely to Nurse Holloway. Absolutely criminal negligence. Well, isn't that a pretty serious charge, Doctor? When a man of Dr. Rudd's generation used it, it was very apt to mean murder. Miss Holloway murdered Carmel? She was very fond of Mary Meredith. Perhaps that's why Stella's grandfather sent her to Miss Holloway's for safekeeping this afternoon. You mean... You mean Stella's there now, in that genteel madhouse? Well, I venture she's safe with her mother's dearest friend. who was also
6: guilty of criminal negligence? Oh, no. Dr. Scott, I must hurry. Be good enough to call my sister Pamela at Windward House. Say I'll pick her up in 15 minutes and call Miss Holloway, will you? Tell her to expect us. I'm on my way. (laughs) Miss Holloway, when I was here before, why didn't you tell me that Stella was here too?
4: The presence of our guests is confidential. Please take us to her at once. She's no longer here. I sent her away when Dr. Scott called to say you'd be here. But why? She was the happiest person in the world when I told her she might return to Windward House windward house but her
6: grandfather sent her here to keep her away from windward house she
4: loves it so
6: you knew we'd be away and you sent her there
4: mary will be there oh you
6: hate stella you sent her to her death
4: mary is waiting for stella
6: you're insane hurry pam it may be too late even now drove headlong through the rain, racing the train to Windward House. We arrived in the early hours of the morning. The house was dark. We were on time. Stella hadn't arrived yet. And then, from the inside of the house... It's Stella! The front door flew open and Stella ran out screaming fearfully, running for the cliffs. Stella! Come back! Something she'd seen or heard or felt in that horribly sick house of ours was sending her screaming in the darkness toward the windy cliffs. I ran after her, but she was very young and lithe and driven by fear and drawn by demons, and I overtook her slowly, oh, so very slowly, as in a terrible nightmare. And at the very brink of the cliffs, I dove for her and flung her to the ground, the very brink of death, the very edge of darkness.
3: You bruises, Stella. You'll be fine.
0: Dr. Scott, Rick, why would my own mother want to drive me to my death? Darling, whatever drove you from this house couldn't have been your mother. But it was, I, I saw her. It was a kind of a mist that glowed softly in the dark, coming toward me, just as my father painted her.
3: And why did you run away?
0: I, I don't know. Something terrified me, drew me to the cliff.
3: Um, uh, could the company endure one more excerpt from the case book of Dr. Rudd? It's rather worthwhile. You've the air of a man with knowledge, Scott. <laughs> this entry is dated a little more than three years before the final tragedy on the cliff. Meredith Consultation, my office. Mrs. Meredith, afraid she is going to have a child, assured her she was not. A strange, cold, loveless woman, refusing motherhood. But... Meredith, poor man... Wanting a child so desperately.
4: But there's Stella. Then
3: listen. An extraordinary household. Carmel, the Spanish girl, worships Meredith. A lovely, pitiful creature. All love and womanhood. Pitiful?
0: What does it all mean? I, I don't understand.
3: Stella,
6: where were you born?
0: In Paris.
6: Where they took Carmel. They came back with their baby, or, or at any rate, someone's baby. Rick. The Meredith stayed in Paris for a baby to be born, yes. But I think to Carmel, not Mary. They took the baby as their own to avoid a scandal. That's why Carmel came back, to be near her baby, near Stella.
4: Then it was Mary
0: Meredith who hated Stella, her rival's child.
6: Mary Meredith, who tried to throw the baby from the cliff and fell to her death.
0: And that's what Carmel waited here to tell me all these years. That she was my mother, not Mary Meredith... I'm Carmel's daughter. Rick, the mimosa. She's here. Oh, mother, mother, never weep again, because now I know. Never cry again in this house where, where father loved you. Carmel, mother. She's happy. Mother's happy. She's at peace at last. What the... oh. Rick! Rick, look! That's the mist I saw.
1: Mary,
6: Meredith, Dr. Scott, Pamela, get Stella out of here. I was alone. Alone with the thing that drifted and floated in menacing, gesturing filaments in the open French doors. A luminous mist becoming a face that undulated horribly. A face filled with hatred and malevolence. And I lifted the candelabrum with its flickering, guttering candles. Come on, you icy fraud. If it's Stella you want, you're too late, Mary Meredith. You've tried enough to destroy Carmel's child. So much for the legend of your saintliness. And you can go along with it. Here, darling.
0: Oh, are you all right?
6: All right? I am magnificent.
0: It's so dark, darling.
6: Never brighter.
0: Mary Meredith?
6: Gone forever. Oh,
0: and I always thought she was my mother.
6: What? Good saints preserve me from ghosties and ghoulies and long-legged beasties and a future mother-in-law like that. <laughs>
2: That was The Uninvited from the Screen Director's Playhouse. (laughs) Well, everyone, I would just like to say thank you for keeping me company this year. I'm sorry that the shows have been rather sporadic. I do hope to do better next year. I won't be back with you now until Christmas. So remember to keep those Christmas greetings coming in, and I'll see you in December. Until then, hit those Black Friday deals. Remember to turn up that thermostat. Eat Drink and be merry. And bye for now. I've often
1: wondered why a man would want to snap a woman's spine. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.